Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is February 21st, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Yep, and we're going to have a special guest with us tonight, Mr. Alan Young, the CEO of the Arizona Sports and Entertainment Commission. This, Jared, uh, this entity was the host of the brand new 75,000 ATP Tempe Challenger that was held at Arizona State University last week. The final, uh, due to a washed-out schedule on Saturday, was actually played on on Monday, and uh, semifinals were Saturday. Got some rain there as well. And Sunday got some rain there as well. And um, Tennis Sangren, an American who had uh, now had a career high ranking of number 161 in the world, uh, lost the first set but outlasted. Nikola Milievich in the final on Monday, and uh, Tennis Angren now is the champion of the very first Tempe 75,000 Challenger. Had a chance to see quite a bit of the action earlier, Jared. I was there on qualifying weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, and then um, again had planned on going to the semifinals on Saturday. That day was a complete washout, uh, so the semifinals were played on Saturday, excuse me, on Sunday, and the final was played on Monday. But uh, nice to have uh, a 75K in my backyard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what was so impressive about Sangren's run was you look at the draw he had to go through. Kimmer Coppergens, who just this week qualified for a tour-level event, then he had to play up-and-coming Michael Moe, then beat Marco Tringoletti, and then had to go through fellow American Dennis Novikov, who just came off a big upset of number one seed Ernesto Escobedo, and then go into the final against former junior number one Milojevic. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the the performance by Sangren overall, looking at the draw? Yeah, it, very impressed. Uh, again, you mentioned all the names that he knocked off on, on the way. The uh, The only match I saw him play was part of the semifinal against Novikov. And, uh, boy, that was, uh, again, Novikov taking out the number one seed, Ernesto Escobedo, as well in that in that tournament. So huge for Sangren. I saw uh, quite a bit of that semifinal. Uh, that was played uh, concurrent, uh, obviously, because of the rescheduling and threats of rain. That was played concurrent to the Milajevic Gebeshvili semifinal. So I, I went really back and forth between the two, but Sangren really held his own. Uh, he appeared to be favoring one of his uh, one of his legs, one of his feet, Jared. But uh, he got through that. Again, I think some of these some of these rain delays uh, on Sunday also helped him get through. But I liked what I saw. He was very determined, and um, again. <clears throat> In, in the final, be taking out Milojevic. That's uh, quite a big uh, accomplishment there, the fact that Milojevic beat Gabashvili, who Jared last year at this time was at a career-high number 43 in the world, 
he actually represented Russia in the Olympics as well last uh, last summer. So big win for him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, Denis Novikov, another player that has done well throughout his career. But what stood out to me about those last two matches for Sangren, both times loses the first set. 6-4, and then comes back, wins the next two sets in pretty straightforward fashion. Um, just, just talk a little bit about his ability to come back in both of those matches. Well, that was impressive. Um, again, uh, what I saw against Novikov, who, who had a lot of momentum there. Unfortunately for Novikov, Jared, <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, really horrible line calls uh, against both guys, but uh, especially against Novikov. And uh, the problem here is, you know, we had rain earlier in the day, so the courts couldn't have been any cleaner. These guys could see marks uh, clear as day, almost like it's on clay on a, you know, on a freshly cleaned hard court, if you will. So all the, all the marks that they were talking about saying, you know, this is an inch or as Novikov said, as he held out his, you know, his thumb and his finger, this is, it's this much in, uh, those guys were spot on. Unfortunately, <clears throat> Novikov let that really impact his ability to, inability to concentrate. Whereas Sandgren had a little of that as well, but really held his ground. Um, <clears throat> the fact that he came from a set down uh, was extremely impressive. He just really willed his way to that win on the semifinals. And I didn't see any of the finals, but as you mentioned, he lost both the first set in both the semifinal and the final and was able to get it done and win the biggest tournament of his career. Nice for a 25-year-old American to really be peaking at this point in time. <coughs> Excuse me, his ranking really the last two, three years has been on an upward trajectory, but this will give him a lot of confidence going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I want you to just talk a little bit about the, the atmosphere at this tournament for for those that didn't weren't able to make it out there. Um, what was it like? Did it have good community support there in Tempe? Uh, somewhat. Uh, you know, I've lived here for 32 years, Jared, and it's it's sort of funny here where we've got world class events. You know, the Arabian Horse Show just uh, you know a little while ago, and you know that. People are aware of it, but they're not really sure when it is. The Barrett-Jackson car auction, that has uh, a certain segment of people who, uh, you know, are there for that. We obviously have the golf tournament that's wildly successful. Uh, people show up really just to party and drink and be seen rather than the golf itself. But this is a very under-the-radar event, and, uh, you know, we're going to talk with hopefully Alan Young, the CEO of the Arizona Sports and Entertainment Commission, about his plans to really grow this tournament. Jared, the intriguing aspect here is that this wasn't even on the radar. This wasn't even on the schedule as as recently as mid-November. Um, Mark Hill, the Arizona State University head coach that came over from University of South Florida, uh, wanted to get this going, so he had early involvement. <clears throat> the commission really took over at that point in time, but all I kept hearing from Alan Young and Gary Neese, the tournament director, is this is going to get bigger, this is going to get better. Um, you know, we really are doing as much as we can in a limited time frame. I think once the word gets out, it will get bigger and better. Um, one of the stadiums, really, they, they call it the grandstand court, has, has all the bleachers. Uh, the stadium court itself uh, <clears throat> had almost like a – a skybox type of uh, setting uh, where you can go up top and, and watch on an overview, which was nice. So it's going to get bigger. It's going to get better. Um, I give those guys uh, who hosted the tournament all the credit in the world for 
pulling something together so quickly. In fact, Brian Early, the USTA Pro Circuit Director, was there on opening day, uh, the first day of qualifying on Saturday, gave these guys a thumbs up uh, with respect to what they were able to accomplish and put together. Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned how short the the warning was, I guess you could say, for them to have such little time to get ready, yet they, they fielded a really good group of players. Um, I just want to get kind of your thoughts on, you know, the 32 players in the main draw there, a lot of talent. What, what did you think of, of that? Highly impressive. I, I, I couldn't believe some of the, uh, some of the names they had. In fact, um, Matosevic uh, from Australia was supposed to, he was on the, you know, the, the almost the last acceptance list. He was supposed to be here. Alejandro Faya was scheduled to be here. Obviously he had a little bit more success the week before. So he scratched even Pospisil, who was a finalist in San Francisco the week before uh, he was in the main draw as a special exception in the number four seed. Uh, unfortunately, uh, citing a back issue, he was not able to, to make the trip uh, down to Arizona for this. But I completely agree, and all I can say is most likely is the fact that this was a 75K rather than a 50K. Uh, you know, guys were aware of this event. Uh, it was on their radar. They made it happen that they uh, were able to come here and play. And, uh, again, going forward, everybody's going to know about it uh, next year and plan accordingly. Again, the nice thing we have here, Jared, we literally are four hours due east of Indian Wells. Very comparable playing conditions, uh, although, you know, we're we're a month earlier, a little chillier than uh, what, what everybody's going to experience in a little bit here in Indian Wells. But the conditions are comparable. Um, about the only thing that uh, – I saw as a difference, and I asked some of the players about this, they were saying how slow the courts were. Um, they were shocked at uh, how slow they were, especially the international guys. They said, you know, everything seemingly is fast here in North America. This 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 is very slow. And I saw that in the semifinal between Milojevic and Gabashvili, where Jared there were 15, 20 stroke rallies that you felt like you were watching a clay, tor- clay court tournament. Uh, I was really surprised at the, at the, uh, the fact that I, that's what I was watching on a hard court. Yeah, absolutely. And and you look at the other challenger going on at the same time in Cherbourg over in France, that was a 43 K. They were able to draw guys like Jeremy Shardy, Peter Goyacek, Ilya Marchenko, Luca Vanni, uh, Julian Beneteau, lots of talented players. Obviously, it's in France, so the French players are going to be there. Um, but not hard to imagine a lot of these guys next year, this time around, deciding to go over to Tempe uh, to play in this new event over there. I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I saw, in fact, Seppi's even in a, in a challenger this week instead of playing, you know, a 250 and whatnot. So uh, I think that the, the word's going to get out. And, um, you know, there's there's a possibility, Jira, that this might even be a 100 event next year. Uh, I'm, I was looking at, you know, Irving, um, although that's, I believe that's a 125 or a 150. They've got their whole, their whole main draw are guys who are in the top 90. That's pretty darn hard to pull off. And, um, I agree with you. I think once uh, once people are aware of it, guys talk obviously amongst themselves, and they're going to talk about the the good experience that they had in Tempe and and the hospitality that went along with it as well. Again, um, for something that was put together in such a short period of time, very very thoroughly impressed. And uh, as just quoting 
Alan Young and Gary Neese. It's only going to get better, and I trust those guys on that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, shifting our attention a little bit here to the tour level at this point, um, obviously a big event going on in Buenos Aires to start out with. Um, Kei Nishikori, the number one seed there, reaches the final, runs into unseeded Alexander Dolgopolov, who's had some great results in his career, of course. Um, but a win over Kane Shikori in the final of Buenos Aires, that one's got to rank pretty high, you got to think. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dolgopolov's biggest career title, Jared, was a, fifth, was a 500 in Washington, I think about five years ago. Um, I saw him play a few weeks after that, lost miserably to David Danko, one and one in Cincinnati. In fact, he won Washington then first-round losses in both Canada and Cincy. But, yeah, Dolgopolov has not had a lot of success lately. Uh, two years ago, Jared, he came all the way through qualifying, got to the semifinals of Cincinnati, and played an extremely diff- uh, tough uh, match against Novak Djokovic for a set. Scared Djokovic there with respect to uh, how well he was playing, but completely agree. And, you know, you look at this final, Nishikori, had a 5-0 head-to-head against Dolgopolov, won all 10 sets. Uh, I think only one of those five were played on clay. But um, nice to see Alexander Dolgopolov stick with it. And I'm going to shift the question back to you, Jared, because this is the same week as Memphis. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last show. But what in the world is Nishikori doing, uh, going, leaving a tournament that he basically owns? And uh, if he's not going to go to Memphis, why the heck doesn't he go to Rotterdam to play the 500? And, you know, he lost again today, I believe, Nishikori did to Bellucci. So uh, it almost reminds me of the decision John Isner made to play South America last year. That didn't work out well at all for him. And now all of a sudden, Nishikori went from going to a final that he probably should have won to a two-match losing streak on clay, uh, or excuse me, two-match losing streak in South America, wondering what's going on. Yeah, it didn't even take 80 minutes for him to lose to Tomas Bellucci today over in Rio de Janeiro. He lost 6-4, 6-3 in that match. So that's two losses in a row for him. Obviously, the the South American Tour, um, it's, it's a little bit out of the way, so they have a tough time getting players to go there. Um, but the ATP does give them a certain amount of money, and they get money over the years. And what they do is they basically go out and pay for one or two of these top players to come play in their tournament and uh, Rafael Nadal decided not to play in these events this year. So that's a lot of money they had saved up to spend on Rafael Nadal. It's obviously very expensive. Um, seems to me that they just spent it all on Kane Shikori and he says, Hey, if I just show up, they're going to pay me a lot of money. So why not? And I, I kind of expected them to just get in the first round, lose to Diego Schwartzman and move on. He lost the first set, ended up coming back in that one. Also came back from a set down against Carlos Berloch, home favorite, and finds himself in the final, and then loses in straight sets to Dolgopolov. The loss to Bellucci today, I think it can definitely be explained by that, but it seems like he was going all out there in Buenos Aires to try to grab that title. And uh, just want to go back really quick to Alexander Dolgopolov. Um, we talked about the draw that Tennis Angren had to go through. Let's talk about the draw that Alexander Dolgopolov went through. Leads off with former top 10 player Janko Tipsarevich. Next, he has number two seed and clay court specialist Pablo Cuevas. Then he has red-hot Gerald Meltzer, who's been really playing some incredible tennis for about the last 16 months, beats him. Then he has up-and-coming Pablo Carreño Busta from Spain, 
he's really the future of Spanish tennis. Spain, one of the best tennis countries in the world, doesn't have a lot of guys coming up, but they do have Pablo. I think he's going to be the Spanish number one in about five, six years. Um, he's obviously very talented. Dogopolov gets through him, and then he plays uh, top ten player in Kena Shikori, wins that, doesn't drop a set all tournament. Um, mm. Just the level of play for Dolgopov is extremely high. We meant, you mentioned we saw this before in Washington, D.C., and he wasn't able to back it up. Obviously, he has some physical and health conditions that makes it hard for him to play at this level consistently. But when things come together for Alexander Dolgopov, he's a very good, very fun player to watch. Agree, and, and you mentioned uh, that list of, of impressive players that he beat, and you know, people will say, well, they'll circle the final against Nishikori, and rightly so. But, Jared, I'll go back to earlier in the draw. I, 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 the one that jumps out at me is the win over Cuevas. I mean, this is someone who, you know, I believe is was seated 27 or so in majors, obviously picking up tons of points on the clay, uh, had himself a nice couple of years the last few years, obviously making his living on clay. So for Dolgopolov, you know, winning that uh, in straight sets, no less, uh, had to give him a boost of confidence uh, to continue to go forward. And, you know, once he gets hot, he, he can he can continue to pile things up and uh, and do what he did this week. Uh, the, as you said, in Washington, uh, didn't do much of anything in Canada and Cincinnati. So it remains to be seen if Alexander Dolgopolov will continue to play good tennis or you know, is he going to enjoy this one for a little bit longer than uh, he probably should, uh, as he's done in the past? Yeah, that'll be definitely a very interesting thing to see. A lot of talented players in this draw around, lots to talk about here. Um, Carlos Berloque, another player that reached the semifinals at his home tournament. Here's a guy that just kind of doesn't go away. He's been doing this for a long time, beats David Ferrer 6-4, backs that up against Tiago Montero. Uh, wins that one 3-6, coming back from down a set 6-2, 6-3. Nice run for him. What do you think's behind this run for Berloque? That's a great question. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I like what you said. It's it's uh, he just doesn't go away. You 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 see his name in in draws uh, for a while, then um, you simply just don't see it for uh, for quite a while. Then obviously being able to pick up some wins. Uh, possibly on the challenger circuit to get the ranking back up. And, and there he is again. I just, you know, I, I'll go back to uh, an analogy I used, I think, last show, and that is someone like uh, uh, Marin lucic Baroni on the WTA Tour, who, again, 18 years between semifinals, always, as she said, maintained that she had the belief that she could uh, could do this again. And so, that's what it takes. These guys need to be able to believe, and, and obviously the margins are very, very small, uh, as we see uh, week in and week out, whether it be the ATP Tour in a 250, 500, 1,000, or even you know in the, in the challenger level, very, very small margins determine the outcomes of these matches. And so Berloke, uh, yeah, if, if things go well his way, if he's playing lights-out tennis for a while, he's going to be able to pick up the wins get some more points and uh, find himself in main draws where, again, hopefully he can parlay that, pay it forward, if you will, and uh, hopefully be a threat on tour. But great question. I just think it's the determination that he has. He is a professional player. He's cognizant of his shelf life, Jared, and possibly making one last or, you know, push in the twilight of his career. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a great mm-hmm. analysis of what's going on with Berloke right now. And uh, with that, we're going to shift gears a little bit, head over to Memphis, where we had a ton of American players basically just beating up on each other, um, particularly with what happened in the bottom half of the job. But it was an American that eventually got through. Brian Harrison wins his first career title. Uh, he had reached a, a number of semifinals about four or five years ago and had really struggled just in the last couple of years, just a really bad slump for him. And, uh, you know, the, there was so much hype when he was about 15, 16 years old. And he, it looked like for a while he was living up to it. And then this slump just set him back so far. I think people got really bitter and sour towards Ryan Harrison because they were so excited about him, yet there just wasn't the results there in the last couple of years. Um, but here he is finally getting his first career title, uh, just such a huge milestone in the career of Ryan Harrison. What did you think about his run there in Memphis? Fantastic and great to see, and in my opinion, Jared, long overdue. Um, I, I really did expect to see this uh, years ago. He, he's got the tools, he's got the game, but yet wasn't able to put things together. And uh, for, for whatever reason or reasons, if you will, uh, I think we go back to, again, taking a look at guys uh, being able to play some of their better tennis in their later years, not to say – you know, it feels like Harrison's been around forever. I think he's 24, 25 years old. But, uh, again, those expectations, massive expectations, uh, again, part of the lost, one of the lost generations, if you will, in American tennis. I will say this, Jared, I, you know, seeing Ryan Harrison play, uh, you know, a handful of times in Cincinnati, and uh, there, there are and have been some really venomous questions asked of him in press some people really you know like to fling arrows and as we see he's really can be a a little bit of a hothead on court I'll say this Ryan Harrison is the consummate pro in the interview room Um, people try and get under his skin they try and goad him he has none of that when he's answering questions very eloquently spoken very professional doesn't get put off by someone trying to bait him Um, he's seen it all he's heard it all before I, I really don't like the tone of some of the questions or the content that are sent his way. Uh, but, uh, he, again, he handles that very professionally. So um, congratulations to Ryan Harrison, and uh, w- I really hope he's able to parlay this going forward. Uh, the rankings up there now, obviously going to continue to play tennis here in the United States in the month of March with, with the two big 1,000s coming up. Yeah, and here's the other thing that was so impressive about his run. No sets dropped. In fact, the closest mm. set he had was 7-5 against uh, Konstantin Kravchuk. He won that match 6-3, 7-5. Doesn't lose more than four games in any set for the rest of the tournament. Uh, this is really almost a dominant performance. And the draw did open up nicely for him. He had Darcy and Isner fall out. Um, on the top half of the draw, none of the seeds got through to the semifinals. So the draw did open up for him a bit, but you still got a professional tennis player on the other side of the net you got to go through. And for Harrison was probably the biggest match of his life in the semifinal and final. It had been so long since he had been to that stage of a tournament. And, you know, he had wanted for so long to get back there. And now here he is, and he's got to face Donald Young and Nicola Vasilevili, two tough opponents, and he gets through them very easily, really. Yeah, and I just want to make mention, you, you you said he didn't drop a set uh, in Memphis. 
Jared, he won the Dallas Challenger, also, uh, you know, did not drop a set. So 20 sets consecutive for Ryan Harrison. Granted, 10 of those were at a Challenger level, but, uh, you know, that that's he's doing all the right things, and that momentum is going to go forward. But I like what you're saying about the draw opening up. And, again, we, we have to go back to the fact that uh, Kane Nishikori, who, again, owned Memphis, w- was not there this time. Somebody had to win the tournament. Uh, the defending champion was not there, and um, Ryan Harrison took well full advantage of that opportunity and made it happen. So hats off to him, uh, along with uh, all the opponents that he beat along the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. And another one of the interesting aspects of the tournament, Donald Young's run to the semifinals. He went through number six seed Adrian Manorino, and then two of the tallest, toughest-serving players on tour, Riley Opelka and John Isner. If you're going to play those guys, might as well play them back-to-back because then the first match is almost like practice for the second match. So if you're going to play them, let's play them back-to-back, and that's exactly what Donald Young got, and he beat them both. Yeah, you know, I'm more surprised at Donald Young reaching the semis than I am Ryan Harrison winning. Um, I, I, you know... Can't quite explain why. I, I possibly I think because I I have expected Ryan Harrison to eventually accomplish what he did. Uh, you know, four years later perhaps. But Donald Young again. Yes, it's a semi, and uh, uh, but I I'm not really sure where this came from from Donald Young. Uh, Harrison, as I mentioned, had some momentum with the Challenger win in Dallas, so he was feeling good about himself. But a lot of credit to Donald Young for hopefully seemingly figuring some things out. And, um, yeah, it will be nice to see what he's able to do going forward again. An American looking forward to the Masters 1000s here at Indy Wells in Miami. Um, he's had success before. I think maybe five years ago, Jared beat Andy Murray at, uh, at Indy Wells. Big, big shocker. Murray was going through some uh, personal issues, a uh, breakup with his girlfriend at the time, wasn't really playing well, uh, lost to Donald Young, Any Wells lost to Bogomoloff in Miami. So uh, bad stretch for Andy Murray that time, but all the credit to Donald Young then as well as last week. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting statement. You said said you're more surprised Donald Young reached the semifinals than Brian Harrison winning the title. I I want you to expand on that a little bit more because that's a really interesting thing to say. Um, Is it the surprise that Donald Young reached the semifinals? Is it the surprise that the players he beat or, you know, what what was it that that caught you by surprise there? Combination of, of, of what you just said, but mostly the players that he defeated. Um, uh, again, tough sled, and, and he was able to, to get through there. I've, I've seen him play a number of times and just really not able to put, uh, in some cases, points together, in other cases, games together. And obviously, you're doing all the right things if uh, if you're if you're defeating who who you're playing there in Memphis, and uh, credit to Donald Young for for getting the job done there. But I just, yeah, I, I expected Harrison to eventually get to where he got to. Uh, Donald Young is still still a question mark in my mind. What he's able, what he's going to be able to do going forward. Uh, thrilled that he was able to get to the semis, but. That, again, was was still a little bit of a shocker to me compared to even Harrison winning. Yeah, and then I want to move up to the top half of the draw now. 
Uh, not great performances here by the American. Taylor Fritz did win his first-round match against number eight seed Randy Liu, a nice one for him. Comes back from down a set, wins two tiebreakers, barely stays alive in that one. So a good win there. Other than that, the only wins Americans had were against fellow Americans. What do you think went wrong there for those guys? Great question. Um, maybe not ready for, for for the action. The curtain goes up, if you will. And like you said, a lot of Americans were there, guys guys beating up on each other. But, um, yeah, long tennis season. Uh, we, we see some, some funky results, if, if you will, in the month of February. Um, uh, you know, even – you know, Ryan Harrison winning a title. That that happened in the month of February. Uh, Dolgopolov getting it done as well. Long season, Jared. Obviously, uh, we, we had a major conclude at the end of January. Uh, the bigger names, if you will, have their eyes on what's coming up around the corner in, in the month of March. Um, if we're going to see some of these things that uh, – <clears throat> some of these crashes and burns, if you will, especially with what Nishikori uh, wasn't able to accomplish this week – these guys would much rather have this happen in the month of February than uh, at the bigger tournaments coming fo- coming up forward. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, want to move over to Rotterdam, uh, big 500 event there, loaded draw. And in the end, it's Joe Wilfred Sanga defeating David Goffin 4-6-6-4-6-1. Here's Joe Wilfred Sanga again, performing very well. Uh, he came in as a little bit of an underdog in this tournament, the number six seed, but comes away with the title. Defeated Marin Cilic and Tomas Burdick in the quarterfinals and semifinals. Really impressive run for the Frenchman. Yep, and uh, he was playing pretty good ball the week before. Alexander Zverev got him in Marseille, Jared. Um, but uh, interesting that both Nishikori uh, lost his sixth consecutive final on Sunday, as well as Gofan, uh, Jared. Go- David Gofan. Six finals in a row now uh, lost. Uh, he did uh, reach the top ten, which is good. Again, he's got semifinal points to defend in both Indian Wells and Miami. But, uh, yeah, the spotlight here is on Joe Wilfred Sanga. Uh, again, in a, in a tournament final, Jared, losing the first set, but coming back and getting the job done. So credit to him. Um, big win for Sanga. Um, uh, ATP 500, you know, he does – I have a I believe he's got a couple of 1000s most recently in Canada where he um, had one of the most impressive runs ever in in beating uh beating three of the three of the big four on, and and uh, I think it was Murray uh Djokovic uh Dimitrov and Federer to win in Canada so Joe Wilfredsonga obviously capable of of putting these runs together it's just I don't think we've seen it as often as I, I think we expect, but nice to get a 500 under his belt. Yeah, absolutely. And then looking at the semifinalists, you have a little bit of an oddball out. Let's see if you can figure out which one it is. Joe Wilfred Sanga, Tomas Burdick, and David Gofan, and Pierre Hughes or Bear. Which one is it, Pete? <laughs> hey, Bear, you got it. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of surprise there. He gets through Feliciano Lopez in the first round. Nice win there. Then he beats Don Skoy. And then number two seed Dominic Team wins all three of those matches in straight sets. Won four tiebreakers along the way. Really nice run for the Frenchman. Uh, where do you think that came from? No idea. I mean, you know, obviously knows how to get it done, you know, on the uh, on the doubles court. So, uh I'll, I'll just go back to my default here, Jared. Uh, 
some funny things can happen in the month of February that, that we've already seen. Um, you know, we're halfway through, a little more than halfway through the month now, two-thirds through the month. But some interesting results, uh, some some guys winning matches that they necessarily shouldn't win. But um huge win for him over Dominic Team, who uh, – you know, a lot of question marks right now with what's going on, or, or more importantly, what's not going on with Dominic Team. You just wonder about uh, all the tennis he played last year. And my parallel to that, Jared, is Andy Murray. You know, as much effort as he had to put in to uh, get to number one in the world, he did accomplish that. But um, again, he's suffering as the Brits are. are questioning right now is the guy burned out based on what he uh did you know the back end which you know looking at it gives all the more credit and all you know more spotlight to Novak Djokovic in what he's been able to do for four years Jared uh he's not burned out at all he just you know he plays near he gets to the final nearly every week uh and he's been doing that for about four years Murray he really was able to put this bet together the back end of last year and According to the Brits, his tongue is on the ground. So we'll see. You know, long season, Dominic team, we have to keep our eyeballs on him to see how he might be able to rebound, if he can rebound at this point. Yeah, first thing, as a Djokovic fan, i got to stop you from shortchanging my man. It's about five and a half years from the start of <laughs> 2011 to about midway through 2016. He was dominating the tour. So I want to make sure he gets credit for all that. The other thing, Dominic team. We mentioned to him um, overscheduling. This has been a theme that we've been talking about for a while. We've kind of seen this coming, and uh, it's surprising that team hasn't kind of done something to correct course. He he kind of sticks with it. I think he's a little bit stubborn about that. He he likes playing a lot of events, and he's not going to change that, even though the results are starting to change. You look at who he played in the first round. He beat Alexander Zverev, obviously a very good player, and Jill Simone, uh, a veteran of the game, a very – solid player he beats those two and then air bear beats him so i think uh, a lot of credit really goes to our bear uh team wasn't playing bad at least not up until that point um and air bear still got the better of him in that quarterfinal so um really really nice run and then the other quarterfinal match that stuck out to me a great matchup between david gofan and grigor dimitrov dimitrov arguably we talked about this last week the hottest player in tennis right now um, mm-hmm. obviously Roger Federer don't want to take away anything from him what he did in the month of January um, but for Domin- uh, excuse me, David Gofan, Grigor Dimitrov go head to head that's a great one and Gofan wins 6-4, 1-6, Huge for Gofan uh, to, to again beating arguably or I believe right now the hottest player on tour and Grigor Dimitrov um, unfortunate for him he wasn't able to get the job done in the final, but yeah, he, that's going to do him some good as well. That, that was at the high quality win. He'll be disappointed that, uh, he did not get the, the win in the final again, six in a row now for him, but, uh, he's doing the right things to even put himself in position to win titles. But Jared, just one, one throwback to, uh, Dominic team again, his scheduling right now sort of reminds me a bit of Nikolai Davidenko, who seemingly played everything, um, uh, I remember going to the Rogers Cup in Toronto uh, probably a little over 10 years now. He had just won a 250. Well, what, it wasn't a 250 then, but it's the equivalent of 250 in Sopot, Poland, on clay. And, you know, here's a, a 
would have been a top eight seed. This was uh, before these, the top eight got buys. He played a, and he, he won in Poland uh, and then play, had to play, I believe, got in and played a match in Toronto the next day uh, and I lost, you know, competed well, but the guy's tongue was on the ground. But uh, my point here is that, you know, David Nanko played a lot, but that's, that suit his personality. He, he, was able to get deep in tournaments. He thrived kind of like Rafa on match play. It really worked out for him. I don't know if this is uh, necessarily the recipe for Dominic Team. As you mentioned, we talked about this on previous shows, but um, um, good wins, as you mentioned earlier in the week. But something, um, these are, you know, something's got to give in, in what he's looking to do. And as you mentioned, he's not really letting go on, on his insistence on, on playing this way. I just hope he doesn't have to have a long layoff as a result of just being fried. Yeah, and then one other player I want to talk about. This is an interesting result for me. I still don't know what to make of it. Marin Cilic loses in the quarterfinals to Joe Wilfred Sanga. This is now part of a string of losses for Cilic. Losing to Sanga, obviously, not something to be massively worried about. But when you put into the context of all of Cilic's year, which just hasn't been all that impressive. Uh, for me, it is a little bit worrying. What do you make of it? Is this just he he ran into a good player in Joe Wilfred Songer and lost a close one? Or are are you thinking um, it's a little bit more of a worrying pattern? No, I, I, I you know, Sanga did win the tournament. So he, you know, and again, lost his Vera of the week before. So he's he's playing some good ball right now. I'm, I'm really not alarmed by it. You know, we've seen Chilich play his best tennis, the uh, North American hardcourt summer, if you will, uh, obviously a U.S. Open champion. Jared, he was playing unbelievable tennis in Cincinnati. He won that, uh, won the Masters uh, Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. That's how well he was playing last year in the month of August. We've seen that before as well. He no, kind of sleepwalks through part of the year, if you will, which is surprising given his talent. But he seems to come alive, uh, you know, post-Wimbledon, if you will, and uh, really can make some noise and obviously do a lot of damage, not only now at the Masters 1000s, but as a U.S. Open champion as well. And he, he's put together some nice runs in New York. So uh, it would be interesting to look a little closer at what is not working for Marin Cilic earlier in the year, but um, something certainly is, is not, it, you know, it's, it's like the, you know, the gates have gone up. It's time to run the race and he's not ready. Let's not forget uh, right after he won the U S open, he didn't even play at the Australian open. So a uh, little bit of a down uh, downer for him at that point in time, but he's a, he's a back end of the year guy who plays his best tennis, you know, the last few months of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to move on to some of the tournaments going on this week so we can preview some of the draws there. But before we do, uh, anything else you want to highlight from this previous week? No, uh, you know, congratulations to Ryan Harrison, first ATP title, Doug Apala, first title in quite a while, and uh, Sanga getting a big one at a 500. Uh, really happy to see Joe Wilfred Sanga win. Uh, a tournament at this level, uh, we know he's capable of much more. Interesting to see what he's able to do. Uh, again, he's played well at any wells in the past as well. So th- this will bode very well for Joe Wilfred Sanga coming into March. 
Yeah, sounds good. And the one of the events going on right now, a 500 over in Rio de Janeiro, um, got a lot of big names in this tournament. Dominic team right back in action. We mentioned already Kenny Corey eliminated in the first round. We have Carreño Busta, the number four seed, Ramos Vignolas as the fifth seed, Pablo Cuevas, the the clay specialist, got David Ferrer, uh, really loaded with talent, um, but probably not the strongest 500 we've ever seen. Who are you looking at there? Now with Nishikori out, the draws kind of opened up. Team, I'm not expecting, I don't know about you. Um, who who do you see making a run at this tournament? Yeah, I, I, I really, Jared, I haven't really dialed in too much uh, to this tournament. Uh, I was uh, really kind of caught up with what was going on in my backyard here in Tempe, uh, being able to cover that and uh, and put some things together. So unfortunately, I I'm aware of the the Nishikori departure, if you will. But other than that, I I honestly haven't really taken a, a close look at this draw yet. Yeah, well, one of the results that already has happened. Casper um, Ruud beat Rogério Dutra Silva. Casper Ruud went on an incredible run in Challenger last year. Um, it was really just something special a great way for him to end the year. So that's a guy that I'm looking at this year. Really interested to see um, what he can do. Um, obviously, he, he comes into this as a wild card in the 500. Probably not going to be able to make a run, but Jao Sousa now out of the tournament, Kane Shikori out of the tournament. Really curious to see if maybe he could make a, a bit of a run in this event. If he could get to the semifinals of a 500 as a teenager, uh, I think that would be something really exciting. So that's one of the things that I'm watching for in this tournament. Uh, curious to see how he progresses through the tournament. Yeah, I want to ask you about uh, about Root. Obviously, I've, I've, I'm aware of him. Uh, I've not seen him play. Uh, I've I've seen his name pop up. Uh, actually, uh, know someone uh, who spent some time in Norway working with young Norwegians, and he knows Casper Root's father fairly well, and said, "Yeah, he's he's really got the tools to." to possibly be able to do something special. But uh, I know, again, you you follow the young guns very closely. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on, you know, what we might expect from him this year and uh, when can we really see Casper Ruud uh, possibly making some noise going forward? Yeah, he's quite a bit younger than a lot of these other guys we're talking about, but obviously he's already making noise. Uh, just won a match in a 500, so that's a good start not to mention the run he went on in Challengers last year. That was really something special. Won the title in Sevilla on the yellow clay. Now he's winning matches on red clay. Excited to see what kind of stuff he can do when we get him onto hard courts and grass a little bit more often, uh, see what kind of results he can produce. Uh, but to talk a little bit about his style of play, um, kind of similar to a Tanasi Kakanakis, just in the way things look almost. But there, there's a similarity in the style of play of a lot of these young guys. The ball really flat hit it with a lot of power off both sides. Um, it's like all these guys watched Rob and Soderling growing up and said, I want to play yeah. like him. And, and, you know, why not? Rob and Soderling obviously had some great results throughout his career, but they're just strategically, that's what they're doing. And I think a big reason for that is in juniors, that style of play works. Most junior players cannot defend against that kind of hitting. So that's what works. And if you have a good junior career, you're going to move on to the pros instead of going to college. Um, you're going to try to make that push early on to get pro and get your ranking up. So a lot of these young guns that we're talking about play with that same style. Um, so he's another one of these guys. He does it extremely well, and he's having a lot of success so far. 
Now the question is, when he comes up against these guys, the Djokovic's and Murray's that can defend, um, even someone like Team or Nishikori that are good at defense, will they be able to hang with those guys? Um, so that's going to be the next test for a lot of these juniors. I think Casper Ruud's in a part of that group, even though he is younger than some of um, you know, his peers are all a couple years older than him, which really speaks a lot to just how talented he is early on. Yep, and I, I looked at the draw, and way up top there, uh, Thiago Mont- uh, thanks for that overview. Uh, Thiago Montiero, someone who really impressed me when I saw him play qualies in Cincinnati last year. I, this was somebody that I think the only thing I knew about him was the fact that he did have a win over Sanga somehow, uh, which says a lot right there. But I really liked his game. He didn't really do much, uh, you know, at that tournament after he got a win But uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, here he is, uh, a South American playing in South America. Look out, um, you know, 500, Jared. You get a few wins under your belt. All of a sudden you're getting points. You're knocking at the door of possibly some, you know, direct entries into – you know, just about anything he'd like at this point. So uh, I really liked his powerful game. Uh, someone from South America with who, who looked good on hard courts. That was refreshing to see. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say about the same time I was introduced to Montero was this time last year when, as you mentioned, he beat uh, Sanga. So he has some points to defend now coming back this time of year. And uh, that's going to be someone looming. That'd be a great quarterfinal matchup to get Rude and Montero to go up against each other. Obviously, Bellucci in that section of the draw. Carbeas Bena, um, he's there as well. Uh, so it's a 500. There's no such thing as an easy opponent. So Rude's going to have to battle for those ranking points. Yep, good call. Uh, I, I like that. And uh, nice to see all these 500s you know, on a weekly basis uh, on the eve of uh, two of the bigger 1,000s of the year coming up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's obviously a few other events going on over in Marseille. We have all the French guys congregated there, uh, some of the top seeds in that event. Um, Gael Monfi, Richard Gasquet, Luca Puy, Benoit Paire, um, Nicolas Mahou already beat Alexander Zverev in straight sets, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Then you have Nick Kyrgios, Jill Simone, and Joel Fritzong. It is a 250 and so, actually, the way the draws worked out now, there's a good chance that seven of the eight quarterfinalists will be Frenchmen. The one exception would be Nick Kyrgios. Um, we talked last week about the United States guys all playing against each other when tournaments are here in North America. What do you think of this now? There's tournaments going on in France, and every single French guy is there to play each other. Well, first off, uh, you know, we we used to have a lot of tournaments here in the United States. We we tended to be losing them to South America or they got downgraded, like Memphis was a 500. Boy, you know, we we had uh, Montpellier, we have Marseille, Jared. Obviously, you know, Roland Garros, before that we have Nice. We've got Paris Bercy nice. at the end of the year. A uh, lot, lot of opportunities for these French guys to be able to, to pick up points. But you're right. Um, they a lot of home cooking there, and a very good observation that seven of the eight quarterfinalists could very well be Frenchmen, and um, we we see that happen. We see people play exceptionally well in their home country. We'll see some Americans do well at any Wells Miami. 
uh, certainly at the U.S. Open. So, um, yeah, it, it's nice for those guys to be able to be in their backyard. Uh, tennis is a long season to be able to travel the world, and, and the French certainly at uh, times of the year sprinkled all over the place, February, um, April, May, uh, October even, for them to be able to uh, to be able to be at home playing in front of their fans. I could see that happening uh, quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. And then looking at the bottom half of the draw, Denis Shapovalov, Andre Rublev, and um, Karen Kachanov all lose in the first round. Disappointing results for those three. Um, obviously, you're familiar with all three of them. Which of those guys uh, would you want to talk about at this point? Well, Shapovalov is obviously in, in the uh, in the news, and I saw I think someone sent out a tweet saying, "Well, he got a wild card here that that will cover you know more than cover the amount that he was fined." So, um, you know, it's unfortunate for him, Jared. <clears throat> He's sort of a marked man going forward. Uh, it's going to be brought up for a long time now in press conferences. Uh, irregardless of uh, whatever happened on the match court, maybe even two, three, four years from now, somebody's going to bring up a question. And he's sort of stained by this, unfortunately. Um, I was really surprised that uh, not much more of a suspension was, was handed out, um, given what happened, uh, how, you know, how it happened, but then obviously the end result and, um, you know, I think Pospisil sent out a tweet saying, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world. Well, yeah, he he may very well be, but he 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 made an error there, and um, um, I was a little surprised to see that he got a wild card. But um, hopefully, he can grow from that going forward. But I don't know. I think this is going to be a heavy burden for him, um, just because people are going to be bringing it up. I hope it doesn't affect his play, but we're human beings. I think it will. Yeah, I, I think this will probably be something. There's a lot of chatter about it right now. I think that's going to die down significantly here soon. You mentioned, yeah, in two to four years, someone might bring it up. But I'm hoping more than anything that that's going to be, you know, the exception to the rule. Uh, but we talk about some of the young guys struggling over in France. Not the case here in the United States where there's a number of young players doing extremely well at Delray Beach. Bjorn Korich through the first round. Kyle Edmund. Jared Donaldson, uh, Yoshihito Nishioka, um, and then Taylor Fritz, the other young guy that gets through in the first round. And also in the draw, Juan Martin Del Potro making his return and making it successfully a 6-4, 6-4 win over his injured buddy, Kevin Anderson. A lot of big names all of a sudden. You know, we're talking, you talked about the loaded 250 in France, Jared. Same thing here. Milos Raonic, the number one seed. Uh Absolute barn burner coming up against Borna Chorich, who, uh, again, is a little bit rusty. I expect good things from Chorich this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Borna Chorich gets the win here over, over Milos Raonic. That's a big ask at this point in time, given where Chorich's ranking is. I think he's significantly better than his ranking. But, yes, you mentioned some All-American matchups in round two. We've also got <clears throat> excuse me, Sam, Sam Query and Ger- Gerald Donaldson as well as Taylor Fritz, Donald Young, um, other Americans alive and well in the draw, Jack Sock, Steve Johnson, and, uh, yeah, so good action here for a 250. This this draw is, is shaping up quite nicely as well, and as you mentioned, Delpo uh, could make some noise in this tournament. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to ask you a little bit about those two Americans you mentioned. They got through Jared Donson and Taylor Fritz. Um, these guys probably more so than anyone else, maybe throw Tiafo in that group as well of American guys that are getting a lot of attention. Um, mm-hmm. Jared Donson made his breakthrough about two years ago for it's around this time last year. Um, now that we've had some time since they've made their breakthrough and become familiar with these guys, which of those two do you like to make, make more out of their career at this point? Well, I, Donaldson kind of reminds me of Isner in the sense that he plays his best tennis in the United States. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, I think in the long run, it, Fritz is going to be the guy, if you will, out of out of these three that you had mentioned. But um, I'm going to keep my eye on Donaldson, a very close eye. Um, I think he can beat Sam Querrey in the next round. Uh, again, home cooking, if you will. And uh, again, what he's what he's wants to go ahead and accomplish. But of the three that you mentioned, Donaldson, Tiafo, and Fritz, I I like Fritz. You mentioned he really came on the scene last year at this time. Um, I, I think longevity-wise, or even immediacy, it's going to be more Taylor Fritz than any of those three guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you you, you compared Donaldson to. I'm going to throw another comparison. I see see what you think. Um, The comparison between Donaldson and Ryan Harrison in terms of how they've kind of handled the pressure. Both these guys have been hyped up as kind of the next American John, uh, next American Andy Roddick, if you will. Um, So both these guys have had that pressure of being someone that's supposed to win the U.S. Open. Uh, Ryan Harrison didn't handle it very well. Donaldson's had some struggles handling that pressure. Do you think this is something that he's going to overcome? Is he going to be able to learn, look at a guy like Ryan Harrison, learn from those mistakes, and be better for it? I hope so. Certainly, the blueprint is is there and is is still ongoing with um, with Harrison and and again what he's gone through, what the expectations were. I I, I think that the expectations of Harrison years ago were are are higher, significantly higher than they are. Uh, for Donaldson, we seemingly all knew of Ryan Harrison and the fact that he has the potential. I'm not sure as many people are as familiar with Gerald Donaldson. They should be, but I, and possibly Jared, it, it's because, you know, we, we as Americans, American tennis fans have, have seemingly been burned, if you will. Uh, like you said, the next Roddick, well, okay. You told me about this guy, but what has he done? He, you know, hasn't done much. He hasn't advanced. Why isn't he not playing in the second week of majors? And so, almost the boy that cried wolf. Okay, here, here's the next guy. Well, you know, you're going to have to prove that to me. And so, I think with respect to that, uh, that will actually help Donaldson. The fact that, uh, you know, <clears throat> these other guys had much more expected of them. Donaldson, again, it, it, okay, we're going to start to become aware of him, but at the same point in time, if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't pan out, I don't think anybody would, would be surprised just because we we have, again, we've been burned with maybe unfair but very high and lofty expectations that haven't even come close to being fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to add, uh, add just a little bit to that. The pressure that Donaldson does have, is divided between him, Tiafo, uh, Fritz, Opelka, Koslov, Escobedo, a number of guys. I mean, that's probably only about half the list. You could keep going on Tommy Paul, Michael Moe, 
there's a lot of young Americans that are coming up and they get to share the pressure. Whereas for a while it was squarely on the shoulders of Ryan Harrison. And then it was squarely on the shoulders of Jack Sock. Not so much anymore. So I think that's going to be a good thing for these guys, the, the whole group, not just Jared Donaldson. Um, I, I've been saying for a long time, some of these guys are going to disappoint. They're not going to live up to what we're saying about them, but there's no way that the entire group is going to fall short of expectations. Someone from this group is going to rise up and is going to be a top 10 player. And I'm excited to see which one's going to be. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's going to take some time, though, uh, longer than I think people are, are expecting, uh, even though we've got tempered expectations, if you will. I, I agree. This is a real bumper crop. The 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 volume, if you will, Jared, of, of possibilities, uh, you know, you throw enough people out there, somebody's going to have a breakthrough or some, some bodies, if you will, plural, and uh, that'll be good, I think. You know, they'll feed off each other going forward. But the sample size right now for younger American male tennis players is looking very good, very promising. Um, I think it's going to take a little while longer. I mean, I see even newspaper articles, oh, you know, the the American generation is going to dominate. Well, you know, let's let's make the second week of a major first uh, before we talk about winning multiple, multiple majors, uh, titles, if you will. Uh, we haven't even come close to that in a, in a long time. Um, you know, even John Isner, Jared, one major quarterfinal to date. That's his best result. He's been around a long time, one quarter, and that's all. And uh, you know, we we have people saying we're the the Americans are going to dominate the the majors. Well, we have we have to put ourselves in position, get to a semifinal, get to a final, maybe even win one. Uh, before the word dominate uh, is is you know can be in that sentence and even so that's that's a big ask and big stretch in my opinion we we just settle for one at this point in time yeah no good points across the board um, and you know this reminds me of an, an article I wrote for my blog probably three or four years ago about what was going on with American tennis and a lot of people were saying you know Patrick McEnroe is doing a terrible job the U.S. <laughs> PA development programs just not working. And I said, look, the USA has put more players in the top 200 than any other country. The development program is taking guys and putting them in a position where they are going to be able to succeed. And just for a while, no one was. And it was just a little bit unlucky on the part of the USTA because they had talented players all throughout the top 200. Just none of them were breaking through. Now we have an even bigger group than before. Um, I, I just think someone's going to get through. I, I really do. It's it's hard to say which one it is. The nice thing is it could be any of them. Um, and that's what has me so excited. Um, you know, and, and we, we've talked about a few weeks ago, Davis Cup USA gets a win in the first round. We're into the semifinals now, or the quarterfinals. Let's see what we can do from here. I, I'd really like to see fans get excited about American tennis again. I agree. And, and even the, the, you know, being on the on the on the squad on the practice squad, being there on the bench, Jared, for Davis Cup action, even though you're not one of the four who's going to play singles and or doubles, and uh, just that experience, the hitting partners, if you will, being part of that experience, the environment, soaking it all in, uh, 
that's the beauty, I think, about Davis Cup as well. And, and as you mentioned, the Americans have a very good opportunity uh, when they're playing Australia to get to the semifinals. So we shall see. And uh, as you mentioned, I, it's just too many guys. Uh, I liked what you said about uh, so many guys in the top 200 a few years ago. A lot of people overlooked that. But right now we've got several that are climbing you know, to career highs that are putting some things together that – we're knocking on the door. It's still a ways away, uh, but I'm hopeful and optimistic that, uh, you know, within a couple of years we, we might be looking at uh, finally hoisting some hardware. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming up on the one-hour mark, so I think good mm-hmm. time to call it a close. Pete, any other comments before we wrap up this episode? No, just, uh, again, I'm intrigued by the uh, – some of the results in the month of February uh, that that we've seen so far. And uh, obviously we've got uh, a couple big Masters 1000s coming up uh, mm-hmm. very soon, Jared. Uh, tennis, you know, spotlight's going to be back on tennis with respect to the month of March and uh, what we've got going forward. But I'm certainly enjoying what's happening here and obviously uh, look forward to Davis Cup as well and talking with you about that uh, going forward. Absolutely. Well, looking forward to it, Pete. And that will wrap up this episode of Replay the Point. Thanks for joining us and um, be checking in for when more episodes will be coming up. Um, Feel free to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss an episode. You can also catch episodes on demand through iTunes, whatever your podcast of choice app may be. Um, We're there on iTunes. So give us a listen and check back in with Replay the Point for Pete Zebron, I'm Jared Pine saying good night.